0: Hi everyone and welcome to the second edition of Priory's podcast Sporting Highs and Lows where along with guests from the sporting world we explore the links between addiction, mental health and sport. I'm Luke Sutton, ex-professional cricketer and now a sports agent and I'm once again joined by Priory addictions therapist Pamela Roberts. We've recently seen a lot in the press about the increase in gambling addiction of professional sports people and with so many people struggling due to the coronavirus pandemic the number of cases has risen. Today we're delighted to be joined by Chris Wood, a professional cricketer who has seen great success playing for Hampshire and indeed someone I played against a lot during my career. Chris has been really open and incredibly brave in recent months uh, in discussing his battles with gambling addiction over the last decade. Welcome Pamela and welcome Chris. Hello. Hi guys, thanks for having me on. Chris, I'm going to try and keep it formal and call you Chris rather than Woody, um, uh, even though it's quite tempting at times. I I remember when I I messaged you um, when I first saw your announcement and um, I'd been through my own experience of of coming out as such and and, and what that felt like, but I did that after I, I retired. And To do it during your career I admired you enormously and the impact of it would have been massive. You know tell us how it felt when you made that initial announcement and and came clean with everybody.
1: Yeah I think honestly it was one of the most uplifting things I've done. Uh, For 10-11 years this gambling addiction was basically taken over my whole life and to finally get to a position in recovery to feel comfortable to be able to give my experience um, to others that potentially might be struggling like I did, or I was. Um, It was really uplifting. I had all the fears around putting it out there because I understand there's people in society that judge, uh, but I very much got a very different reception as I thought. Um, And it was just really uplifting. It was almost like all those bricks that were in my rucksack for so long were just getting taken out. And I feel like, I felt like, now was the time that I could really move on and, and have a place in life where I felt comfortable with me
0: to be honest that's amazing to hear and and if if we just take it back to you know when it when it started for you I've I've obviously read and listened to some of your interviews recently but you know, talk us through your journey into gambling, which obviously started off fa- fairly small and then became something that you, you know, you've you just said, sort of, kind of plagued your whole your your whole existence. You just talk us through that experience.
1: Yeah, I think gambling for me very much started like it did for every young person. Firstly, I, I was wrongly I was illegal when I first started at 17, uh, but it was very much like most people going down, going down with my friends to the bookmakers before football on a Saturday and placing £10 on a football accumulator or £10 in a roulette machine. But I very quickly identified that I got some kind of identification in a bookmaker, some kind of buzz that I always got from sport and cricket. Um, and I found a relationship with it very quickly that it it was kind of became my safe place. Um, I talked about my childhood in my podcast and how I was very angry and very resentful of my mum leaving. leaving. Um, I went through school, sort of not wanting to be there, skipping classes and and when I found gambling I found maybe that security and safe place that I was missing throughout my childhood with mum leaving and and very quickly it just, it turned to an act that I really wanted to do and then when I got my first contract my mentality very much changed. Um, It was always then I got my money so I was earning the money myself so I could do whatever I wanted with it and gambling was just rife from pretty much straight away. I know a lot of people, it it takes time for it to become an addiction, but for me, it grabbed me very quickly. And I think when I wasn't playing cricket and all that time and that feeling that cricket gave me and the feeling that I still love to this day, that competitive nature, whenever I wasn't at cricket, I was always searching for
0: that. And I very much found it within gambling. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 I'd like to get, get Pamela's take a little bit on that, on as hearing it from a therapist's point of view, that kind of link between, you know, sport and the buzz from sport and the buzz from, uh, you know, in this case, gambling, but from addiction. I guess you hear that as a therapist quite a lot in one way or another.
2: I was thinking about um, before there's a kind of impulsivity that we, we associate with a typical gambling pattern of behaviour, which I... I think I might associate with the sports as well, because I'm imagining that there's nothing as stimulating as, as a, a good game, as a win and, and achievement. And also the opposite of it's not such a great day if, it, if you haven't played as well. And that kind of stimulation, that buzz that you can get from the gambling that repeats that. And then the opposite of that to, to numb out the bad days, it becomes a kind of self-medication that becomes its own problem, of course, in the end. Is, is that sort of what you're saying,
1: Chris? Yeah, most definitely. I think you've hit the nail on the head. And uh, when I was gambling was really rife, I used to bet on any emotion and feeling. So whether I had a good game, a bad game, Gambling became my best friend and was always there to sedate that feeling. So if I won a game of cricket, it was like, well done, you've won a game, go and celebrate, go and have a bet. When you lose a game of cricket, it's, oh no, it's the end of the world. What can make me feel better now? Oh, I know what I do. I'll go and have a bet because I know it will always, always be there for me. That was exactly the
0: right mentality that I had. And, then, and when did you... Now now looking back, and 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 I'm talking from personal experience when we're in those sort of years of denial about how bad things are, but now you're in recovery and you look back, when do you think you you kind of knew this was a problem? Yeah, see, I
1: think for me it's quite interesting because I think a lot of people realise quite late, but I think I realised relatively early. I reached out for the first time in 2013 when I'd lost all the prize money from both trophies that we won at the end of 2012, got myself into 10, 15 grand worth of debt. And I kind of knew then that I was stuck um, and, and gambling was an issue. And I reached out and got some help for the first time and told my dad and unfortunately, probably what he did by by bailing me out financially was probably one of the worst things that could have happened. But at the same time, as a parent who had never bet in his life, it's a very natural thing to do. So I kind of realised quite early, but at the same time, I don't think I was willing, um, willing to give up. So I knew I had this issue, but I knew it made me feel good. So so good to go and do the act of gambling, uh, win or lose, um, that even the therapy that I had or... The telling off from my dad um, in 2013 was never enough, so I think ultimately, deep down, I just, although I identified
0: it was an issue, I just wasn't ready to to pack it in. And did you know I, in that that cricket professional cricket bubble on the bus in the changing room, um, you know something we've obviously both experienced for a long time. Um, I don't want to answer your question, but um, you know how yeah I found with my experiences that might be the best way of doing it that even when deep down I was like I don't want to do this and I'm I'm doing it it was kind of celebrated in that environment and I'm not blaming anyone else I own it it was me but it was definitely this thing where you're in this environment where it's like listen as long as we're playing on the field we're all good here and even though deep down I was falling apart I couldn't break out of this, the bubble that we were in. I, uh, d- did you feel that? Very much so. I think in change
1: rooms as a whole, um, well, gambling now is certainly more rife than it ever was when I was growing up, but it was certainly still there. Um, a lot of the senior guys went to casinos, uh, bet on football, bet on horse racing, and and a lot of people are always vocally talking about it in the changing room, and, and that was me for a long time. before Before I kind of knew I had a problem and reached out, I was very much that guy in the change room that was talking about the bets that I was winning, all this money I was winning, um, giving people tips. And I'd say anyone, everyone in a changing environment now, um, up to maybe 5% of people bet to, to some kind of extent. Um, so, and that's something I find tough at times to deal with now, but it, it's made very much easier that I'm in recovery is there's no escape from, from that kind of chat in the change room. I can't ask 25 other guys to never talk about gambling or a bet that they've placed just because of the issues that I've had. But I'm much better obviously managing that now. But at the same time, back then, when I was very vulnerable um, and in the height of addiction, w- whenever it was talked about, I got that kind of adrenaline rush, even from the talk, um, not even the act of placing a bet. And, and therefore, that would ultimately end in me joining in or doing it behind my phone because I didn't want people to know what I was doing, but at the same time taking it all in and, and feel like you are in and amongst it all, just twenty
0: four seven when you are around the guys. It's a bit like being an alcoholic and living in a pub. You know, it's it's there the whole time. I, I mean, I I want to get back to where I think gambling is in in pro sport at the moment because I think it is the silent killer at, at the moment. Um, and i I want to I want to get bring Pamela into this as well. That, you know, that chat in the changing room and that kind of celebration and, and that identity of, of what your teammates would have seen in you and would have liked in you. It's like Woody's, you know, he's, he's one of our mates. He's, he loves a gamble. He's good for a laugh. And, and you, I guessing, would have felt that and, th- and that would have been you. And to step out of that and say, no, I don't want to be that person. I want to be someone else. How did you find that process, if, if that makes sense? Yeah, I, I found it tough. Um, when I came
1: out, I, my natural reaction was very early into recovery was, are people going to like me now? And that, that was how I perceived it was going to be. Uh, I'm, I still like to think I'm quite an outgoing guy, like a joke, but obviously with gambling taken away from it um, and the immaturity that I used to have... Um, the dishonesty, everything that come with it that marks you as an actual person who you are deep down. I, did, I generally felt like some of my best friends who I've had over 10 years, are they now going to think I'm this loser because I don't want to gamble anymore or I don't want to go and have 15 pints at the pub or, or whatever it might be. As, as you kind of change in recovery, you realise the
0: person that you are deep down um, and I didn't think people were going to like that person, Pamela. I'm guessing that's a really common thing amongst all addicts, is that you know that that change of identity, they, they are their addiction, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think there was something you said um, earlier on, actually, Chris, when you were talking about. The, the way you medicated your anger in a way, you found a comfort in, in the bookies and placing the bets. And of course, gradually with addiction, the addiction is, as we said, the medication that makes that all feel better until it becomes its own problem. And then there's an isolation. You get isolated from everybody else and from yourself and less able to manage emotions without that crutch. So it was interesting when you were saying that, that what we would say is the psychosocial element of this is how you make those adjustments, how you, how you deal with, with camaraderie and team membership without a crutch to do that. How, so I was just fascinated how you did that in that very intense situation.
0: Yeah, it, it, I, I think sometimes, especially in a sort of professional sport um, environment, that the weird thing is, that sort of paradox is that your addiction makes you really sociable that 's what that 's what everyone kind of loves you for in a way that's not that 's a bit too simplistic, but um, yet then it isolates you so it 's the thing that makes you you know in the group and then it 's the thing that drags you out of the group and it 's this weird thing that it 's like well where, where am I in this? do I need to be in the group or or am I better off just hiding it and you know doing my own thing Chris, did you ever have any teammates who flagged it up with you or you know did you have anything like that through 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 your time well interestingly um when i had that
1: first set of counseling like i mentioned in 2013 one thing they they very much said to me was you need to become open about your problem and i actually wrongly now because it hurts me to this day that i could do it but in 2013 i, I sat my whole teammates and coaches down and said that i was receiving help i had this problem and looking back, I didn't. I wasn't meaning what I was saying. I was just doing what was advised of me at the time, um, to try and fight the addiction. So I feel very. Um, it upsets me because some of my best mates are in there that I could openly sit down in that environment with twenty guys sat in a circle and and ultimately lie. But that from that day, that's when my gambling become very different. I so said very early on, I was the guy that would talk about it all the time in the changing room from from that day to sitting them all down and telling them that I had an issue and I was trying to overcome it and I was seeking help that I needed, it become completely the opposite. Uh, no one would ever know about my gambling. It would always be behind my phone or to a bookmaker's where none of my friends were around me. So I think they probably... And well, I know this, it had become a surprise for me as I sort of opened up a bit later down the line because they ultimately thought that I had stopped in 2013, mm. a couple of which knew that I had a couple of relapses along the way. But actually, I was gambling the whole time. It was just very much away from those guys because I think I, feel, I felt embarrassed to tell all these guys that I'm trying to stop when ultimately, deep down, I didn't really want to. And I was carrying on the act and I didn't want to ever be caught because um, if I was caught then maybe I would have had to give up gambling earlier than I ever wanted to um, I know now that wouldn't have been the case because I know you always find a way if you really want to um, but
0: that, that that's kind of how I felt about it yeah I mean I think I always think of addicts are the great survivors you know they're they're incredibly good at hiding things and um, you know and sat- sadly the the best lies in the world in, in in many ways as part of the survival mechanism um mm-hmm. and how sorry uh, just go on, to,
2: sorry just to add to that i was just thinking uh, thinking about addiction and how traumatizing the experience can be uh, but that secrecy and that need to keep things undercover kind of internalizes it and becomes its own mental health issue therefore making the need to gamble even more um uh, vital I suppose that, that ever then the cycle you're stuck in a cycle
0: yeah I mean I, I always feel like addiction is this sort of ever decreasing circle and you know you know, at the start you don't even know it's there you don't even know you're on that journey and it's just moving very slowly around you and it just starts to tighten and tighten and tighten and then it, as you get down the bottom it's too late you know it's like you know it's there but it's, yeah. it's done you know like number of people used to say you just need to control this and uh, you know in my mind I'd be like I know you know (laughs) that's exactly what I'm trying to do um yeah just talk us through Chris that the most you know if you don't mind the most kind of desperate days for you where you knew you felt it all you know when it was as bad as it as it was what was that
1: like It's one of some of the toughest periods of my life. I think, for me, one that really sticks out is 2016. Um, Had my second knee operation in April, just two games into the season. It was going to put me out for the the whole of that season. I was in the last year of my contract. Didn't know if I was going to get another contract because three years previously I'd also had another knee operation. So I was missing a lot of cricket for injury. And then this injury came about and it basically had me bedridden for about eight weeks. I couldn't put my right leg down for for eight weeks. I'd have it in a machine for X amount of hours a day. And it just all comes so much on top of me. Uh, My gambling became very erratic. Uh, I had depression, anxiety, insomnia. I was gambling all through the night. I just needed something to sedate how I was feeling. And that thing for me was always gambling. And while I was in able, in my bed, the thing that was taken away from me that I loved the most is in cricket was gone. And then the, the questions of, would I ever play the game again? All that was just far too much for me to be able to handle. And and, and there was gambling. And I, I, I allude to it as my best friend, um, because it was just always there for me in the tough times and I could lean on it. And in that period, I exerted as m- many loans as you can imagine, got myself into debt. And that was the first kind of moment that, things changed in my mindset I kind of thought originally it was always a financial issue and if I could get to level or win the money back that I'd lost that I could then just stop and move on with my life that was the mentality I had but in 2016 I kind of then knew that I was screwed up and like really screwed up and I needed to reach out reach out for help and I did again but obviously then still wasn't enough uh, because I still proceeded to gamble for a couple of years past that, um, a lot more indifferently um, and not so much. But by that stage, it was became very more sneaky. Like my accounts were being checked, and I would go into a co op and spend thirty p on a chocolate bar, but get twenty pound cash back and use that to go and have a bet. Um, but yeah, definitely two thousand and sixteen and injuries in in
0: in general for me were definitely the
1: toughest times.
0: Mm-hmm. And when did you kind of finally reach out and and properly reach out? I guess it would have been two thousand eighteen nineteen type time.
1: Yeah, it was the well the third of December two thousand eighteen, which to this day is still my last bet. And
0: I remember that people, day. I remember mine's the thirteenth yeah. of October. So yeah, third nice. of December. Yeah. Yeah. And it,
1: it, again, it was a, a similar experience to the sort of the eighteen months two years prior. I. When I got twenty pound cash back, and I walked into the bookies with that buzz, that adrenaline rush that I always got, um, that I was doing something sneaky, doing something that I shouldn't have been doing. Um, my partner knew about my issue, but didn't think I was gambling at the time. And all the, all those kind of th- feelings that gambling ever gave me was 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 right there at the forefront. And I, I walked into the bookmakers, and I think I placed a twenty pound four fourfold or fivefold accumulator. And I walked out of the shop and that whole feeling that I got from gambling had just gone. I just, almost to the extent where I couldn't care less if this bet won or lost. I was just completely drained with it all. And I went home and I just laid on my bed for about an hour and a half, just uncontrollably crying. Um, And that was the first time that I really thought, like, you you need to do something and do something now for you. And not only for you, but for everyone around you, because... You're not only killing yourself, but you're killing all your family, all your loved ones. Um, and I just had this real sense of determination to finally get a hold of this horrendous addiction.
0: Mm. Pamela, is that 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 that's that, that sort of moment, like on the first episode when we had Paul Walsh, you know, where he, he had that moment. It's like where you you snap a little bit. I feel it's like you snap and it's like, I can't keep doing this. I'm, you know, what did Paul say? I'm sick and tired, I've been sick and tired. is that from a therapist point of view that's a a place that an addict needs to get to in order to move forward?
2: Yeah absolutely I don't think there's anything that's going to stop that cycle as you said that spiral down until the individual is ready You you know sometimes you can have a bit of therapy and that awakens something there's stages of change I really believe that there are stages of change and if you've got to that point where you're thinking yeah there is a problem. And something can creep in. that Those things stay with you until you're ready. But nothing is more powerful than that moment of realisation for yourself. And then it's being able to reach out and know you've got the help.
1: I, I, I think that's the the thing that scares me a little bit now because I wish that was me so much earlier. And by reaching out and setting my podcast and telling the world essentially my issues... part of me is just like come on guys people that are struggling like you can reach out you can see it but deep down I also know that it's got to be ready for the individual to actually reach out and I think that's probably the toughest thing for me because me now would have told myself seven years ago like what the hell are you doing snap out of it but it's not quite as easy as that and I think we all know that and probably the suffering addicts out there know that also and that's quite tough to to sit on the side of the fence of recovery and, and and know that those people are struggling, but maybe they have to go deeper before they go forward. Yeah. Sorry,
0: Pamela,
2: go on. I was just going to add that, you know, if we, if we draw from the 12-step philosophy, that it's it's by you changing, by you doing things like this, that it might just be that little light bulb that someone says, wow, he's done it, I can do it. I've got to... Pr-. So, you know, I understand what you mean, though. As a therapist, we're sometimes dragging people through, saying, come on, you can... And they're just not ready. That's mm. that. They're just not ready. Sorry, Lee.
0: Yeah, no, no. I, I think, and and I I suspect, Chris, you'll have a similar experience to me when you look in on, you know, you're still playing professional cricket. So there'll be people in your changing room, people you know in the game who you think, you know, maybe they need some help and you're watching. But you, you, you kind of can't play God either, you know, and you kind of have to... Step back and and let it be what it will be. And I, I I was asked the other day, you know, what would I tell my young self uh, now? It's a really tough question because I wouldn't be here now if I hadn't gone through all of that. So, you know, I don't and I don't know if there was anything I could have said. You know, if if I'm totally honest, the only thing that I and I'd, I'd you know I'd, I'd really interested to hear what you think on this. That I think around cricket particularly is is that environment that we we live in which is a sort of testosterone driven um you know survival it's it's um it's like high octane kind of the whole shebang is it? it's not just gambling it's drinking it's it's, it's everything it's and it's part of the kind of thing that drives and keeps us going forward and it's been in cricket for you know long long time and and it's changed in shape slightly but it's still there in essence i do wonder whether like when i remember when i first came into the game it was just like this is the way we live this is the way we do it and i was like great and i found myself i felt like i found myself like yep yeah, this is it i always wonder whether at that time if i'd come into the sport and they'd gone no 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 that's not the way we live this is the way we live it would have been different i don't know what do you, does that do you identify with that
1: yeah, I do, and uh, and I think maybe it potentially would have. I think the product to your environment uh, makes people most definitely, and and I've seen a change at Hampshire, definitely in the last sort of decade. When I first came in, it was very much, you win, you drink, people will gamble, uh, you celebrate your success on the bus home, you you drink and cricket, is very old-fashioned in that sense. As in, it, it is professional, but it's not. If you get what I mean, like a footballer wouldn't necessarily win and then go and have 10 pints and be playing two days later. And that's very much a cricket mentality. And it was when I grew up, growing up, sorry, an 18 to 21 year old. But I do see slight changes now in, in the young guys coming forward, I mean, coming up through the academy. Um, cricket is becoming more professional. Um, a lot of these guys will play games of cricket and they won't have a drink. And, and actually, they're quite strong minded in the fact that. A senior guy that maybe is having a drink and is putting some pressure on them they're very quick to actually say no I'm okay Mm -hmm. so I think we're slowly getting there from a a cricket perspective Mm -hmm. but certainly when when I was growing up in that environment you almost felt frowned upon if you if you didn't join in and and get involved.
0: No totally I mean what I'm interested in also is that rugby went through this transition a few years ago where Drugs became a bit of a problem in professional rugby, you know, and and it was because they wanted to, they didn't want to be drinking, they didn't want to put weight on, they didn't want to, you know, as they became more athletic, it became a problem to drink as much as they were drinking, so this drugs culture slipped in. And it's interesting, I wonder whether that's why gambling is still going to be a huge challenge to the professional sports industry, because it's silent, you can just do it on your phone, no one can see it, you're not going to get any, well... I mean, it might not be helping your fitness, but you're not you're not going to put on weight by gambling as such. What do, what do you think to that? I completely agree. Um, my perception is,
1: an alcoholic over a period of time it becomes very evident, and and with drugs because of the physical effects it can have on you, and, and people can can pick up on it. And that's why I believe that gambling is the fastest growing addiction because it's so easy to hide. Um, I did it for. Ten years and seven, eight years of them were, were all hidden behaviours. Um, all of it is external. It's all inside. You can be hurting 100%, but no one could potentially, you can mask it so well by your um, physical appearance. Um, and I, I personally just think it's ever-growing and becoming very dangerous to society.
0: Uh, so Chris, at the start, we we talked about um, you know when you came became public about um, your your challenges with addiction and the messaging you received and how it felt. But how do you think uh, professional sport in general deals with addiction? In with and I'm not talking about the players' unions, the PFA, the PSA. I mean generally clubs and governing bodies. What do you think this sort of overall attitude to it is? I think it's probably relatively blasé to be honest and I, th- I
1: think there needs to be a lot more done I think sport is identified as one of the high-risk sectors and I think the amount it is destroying people I think everyone's got to pull together now and, and really put in a big effort um I know like you say clubs get education around it uh is it enough do we need to do more um arguably yes most definitely um and it's hard for me to comment from the sense that what the PCA do for me, for, for me is great when they come around and they do their talks, but like I say, is it enough? It's once a year. Um, you get told that these places are around that can help you if you've got a problem. Uh, but like I say, a question is once a year enough um, because this is a soul-destroying addiction that, that needs addressing, and I think there can most definitely be more to be done.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've I've always tried to scream from the rooftops that I I feel like we don't want to say it but I I'm happy to say it that in professional sport from a a, a high level it's kind of it, you know ultimately it's about performance if we're winning and performing we're all good you know don't don't say too much you know like I I said in the first uh, and previously I've said that you know I remember when Ben Stokes got into his trouble in Bristol I heard, heard people kind of commentating around it going yeah but that's just the way he is you know he's a warrior on and off the, the pitch and I was kind of like so does that mean that he's got to nearly get in jail to be the best player that he can be it's nonsense but it's that bravado that we, we generate and I Pamela how does that sound to you from someone from outside of professional sport
2: Mm, Well, I was just thinking about the stigma addiction, the word itself has. And I try to say this often that addiction is a shortcut word for a much bigger problem. And if people could understand that it's a bigger problem rather than a moral issue, then people might be more willing to a reach out for help, but also provide help, and it, even treatment can get stigmatized. You know, if you've been in for treatment, there's something wrong with you. And actually, you know, this this is again an illness is another shortcut word for a much bigger problem. So I think the stigma is there generally, and you know, the, I suppose the other issue is that it's a small proportion of the greater population that actually figure into addiction. But what you're saying, what I'm hearing is that the type of the type of environment you're in, maybe the the kind of personality trait that goes with with sports is also a predisposition towards addiction that we should be taking good care of rather than exposing people to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Chris, talk us through recovery now, you know, and, um, you know, you said, "Will everybody like me, um, you know, uh, what have you discovered about yourself? in recovery or are, or are discovering about yourself?
1: Yeah, I've discovered a huge amount. And it's ironic, isn't it, that when you're in recovery and, and you start doing life as you should be, being honest, and all those traits that we all should be as individuals anyway, that life gives back to you. Um, for so long, I, I thought that life was against me. Everything was against me. And and now I'm doing things right in society. Things, Good things are coming to me also. And I just think it's changed me massively as a person. It's brought out the person that I always was. Um, but the addiction just masked it all and, and made me into someone that I generally wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. And and to be able to sit here today, almost coming up two years and be able to be honest with everyone around me um, and not have to lie and just go about my day, not having to worry that addiction is going to, I mean sorry that gambling is going to have to mask how i'm feeling it's quite it's quite a nice feeling that I've also got a sponsor there to lean on so all those feelings and emotions I used to run from, whether they were good bad or indifferent. I just talk about them now <laughs> and talk about why i'm feeling like it and and how I don't now have to escape um to mask that feeling it's quite like like when I put my podcast out it's quite a enthralling
0: feeling mm. i i mean i think i, I you are a like you did when you first announced um you know made it public you you you, the power and the example that you set for professional cricket in particular by being someone who's still playing who come comes out and says what you've done is extraordinarily powerful it's 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 golden I mean I would urge um English cricket to you know see that because you're I, you, you all know, like we've said a few times in this podcast, that there will be people in change rooms who are struggling right now and um, will be in some patch where you've been in. You know, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, it's fine. Oh, it's terrible. And they just don't know what to do. But to have someone who's currently playing uh, talk about it and be honest about it hopefully allows other people to do. And I think, I think as men we're not terribly good at talking all the time um within men within professional sports even worse it's like you know show no weakness at any time and and break it down so i really hope you keep you keep you know shouting and being an example of of recovery and what you're doing because it's it's incredibly powerful thank you very much pamela do you want to add any add anything to that
2: Um, Well, I I just think you're remarkable, Chris. Just the courage that it takes to be so open publicly. I I can only imagine what that must actually be like on the other side of it. A little therapist sitting around um, encouraging people to be honest. You've made me think about how difficult, how traumatising that can be um so i thank you for that it's it's um always good to learn from someone else's experience but I, yeah i just think it's remarkable thank you for for making it possible for other people to get the help that they need thanks guys
0: yeah so um i i think we'll we'll wrap it up unfortunately I, chris um I, i'd love to talk to you more about it all in in time even more so and and um like i said you're incredibly brave incredibly powerful so well done for everything um this is a clearly an area of concern, I think, gambling with both within and outside of sport at the moment. Um, and so it's timely, especially with some of the kind of um, statistics that are being announced at the moment around COVID and the, the gambling rates and, and, and what's going on. So hopefully this podcast can reach out to people who you know, can identify with it um, and for either for themselves or people that they know Um, Please, please reach out for help if you think you need professional sport. Um, The Priory contact details can be found in the podcast overview or visit their website. Um, Pamela, as always, thank you. Massive pleasure. Thank you. And Chris, thank you so much. Uh, And uh, hopefully we speak to you again soon. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Cool. All right. Until next time. Thank you for listening and goodbye.